Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep, never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast presented by Coros, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in late June. And today we have our last intro episode of the show. We have Abe Alvarado. Abe is a just a high level sprinter slash middle distance runner who is really kicking some serious butt, and I couldn't wait to talk to him. He has a unique running background compared to a lot of the people he competes with because, first of all, he started later than a lot of people do, and in college, he actually transferred and followed his college coach along her journey, and as you'll hear, he's one of the best college coaches in the country, someone who I've had on this show uh, last season, actually the last episode of the first season, and that is Diljeet Taylor over at BYU. I couldn't wait to talk to Abe, and this conversation was so wonderful and just reinforced how lucky we are to have him as part of the roster for season two of Road to the Trials. What an awesome, awesome guy, and I can't wait to see what he's going to be doing this spring. So let's get into it with Abe Alvarado. Abe Alvarado, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to talk with you. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, this is going to be really exciting. Um, you know, you are the sprinter, so to speak. I know you're middle of distance, but you know, the other two guys that we got in the group, they're 10K guys, right? I'm excited to talk to you about all like the power anaerobic stuff. I know like, you know, with your, with your, you know, with, with what you run, there's plenty of aerobic parts to it, but you know, Tyler Day is not doing the same workouts as you. So I'm excited to talk with you uh, about a lot of what you're doing this coming year and the workouts you're going to be doing and all that stuff. With that said, with this intro episode, your first uh, episode here on the Road to the Trials podcast, I know we want to dig a little deeper, get to know you a little bit, uh, what's going on in the past, what's happened in 2020, and how things are looking so far for you in 2021. But before we get there, Abe, I'm going to ask you the same questions I'm asking all of our folks. Uh, in our first episode. And the first question for that is, when did making the Olympic Games become even a dream for you? I think in 2013 or 2014, actually, uh, my first uh, freshman year of of college, um, I, you know, made it to the uh, junior outdoor championships you know where you know they get the best in the u.s of under 20 or something like that that was like one of my first bigger meets ever um and i i I think i had only ran 150 or something my freshman year of college um but i think that race kind of you know left the the taste of my on my mouth of of what meets i wanted to be running at and sure enough, from there on out, um, my junior year of college um, is when I made my, I think I made, was that 2016? Yeah, I made the Olympic trials as a junior in, in college. And I made the semifinal. Well, first of all, I, I came in ranked, I forget, like 26th out of 32 or something. So nothing was expected of me. And I somehow snuck into the semifinal and then once I was in the semifinal I was like oh could I make the final and obviously that didn't happen I didn't have the experience um or was running as fast as you know some of the other guys were running um 
But I think from there on out, I, I remember leaving and I was disappointed, even though, like I said, I, I came into that race without any expectations. But I think just making the semifinal and knowing like, wow, I, you know, I, I, I think I can make a final four years from now um, just kind of got me motivated and just thinking about the next Olympic cycle, which is, you know, hopefully happens this year. Um, but just positive reinforcement to that. Um, after that, I made the U.S. outdoor, uh, yeah, I made the U.S. outdoor final the following year in 2017. Um, and then in 2018, I made the, the U.S. outdoor final again. Um, and 2019, I made, um, the indoor final in the 1k and got second. So, you know, I kind of went from not making the final to making the final to meddling at the USA meets to, to now, you know, hopefully meddling, finishing top three again, um, outdoors at the trials and hopefully punching my ticket to Tokyo. Yeah, hey, I'd be all for that, man. That's for sure. I'd love to follow along on that journey. No question about it. Um, you know, that definitely, it seems like that's kind of when it became like a legitimate goal for you. You start seeing that success and, and, you know, with that success breeded more success and all of that. And I can see why that would fall in the picture. Do you have any earlier memories of, of following the Olympics or, or things that kind of stick in your mind, you know, pre college, even sometimes even pre high school? Um, where you, you were just drawn to, um, either watching the track events or just the Olympics in general? Honestly, not really. I, I mean, growing up, I was a soccer player and it wasn't until like my junior year of high school where I kind of transitioned and stopped playing soccer and started running cross country instead of soccer during the fall. Um, it, but even then, like, I, I didn't know if I was going to go to college or I didn't know like what schools around me or what colleges were good for running you know I, I just I wasn't educated in the sport um and I think for that same reason I I stayed local and I it all worked out for me because I, I went to a d2 school and like I said I had a really good coach there coach Taylor she coaches at BYU now and, and she's a legend yeah. she was actually in season one she was like the last the last guest we had in season one was Diljeet because we talked about when COVID hit and she basically was like literally on the track with her athletes. And it's like, yeah, starting guns about to go. And they're like, nope, meets canceled. Yeah, I, I remember that. Actually, I, I, I was texting her when they were in New Mexico and Albuquerque. Uh, if the, you know, NCAs was going to happen. And well, sadly, they didn't because of COVID. But yeah, I mean, like I said, um, I was with her three years at the CSU Stanislaus, a D2 school um, in Central California. Um, and then we both transferred to BYU and you know I ran at BYU for two years under her um but yeah I mean I think it's because of her and I you know I tell her that I'm thankful that you know I was able to run under her and I think her guidance and just uh, everything you know it has helped has helped me get to the point to where I'm at in my career you know it's because of her that she she believed in me from day one like like I said, out of high school, I only ran 154, which to me wasn't that great. And, you know, I came in and in my eyes, I was like, oh, if, if I could run 150 by the time I'm a senior, like, I'll be super happy. Like 149 to me was like super fast. I was like, if I could just do that, like, like, I'll be happy. But no, like, you know, she, she saw something different in me and like, sure enough, like my time's 
dropped every year under her and she kind of was like whoa like you know you <laughs> you can run at you know USA's if you want to so what what happened in high school that that brought you that converted you from soccer to track obviously like that conversion worked out really well but you know stepping in junior year and then not only you know, making that switch, but doing so like with such success, like what prompted you to make the move in the first place? I think I realized I wasn't that good in soccer. Like I, I had teammates that, you know, played in travel team and, and just had more skill than me. And, and I, I think I would, I started to realize that it, it would just, I hated, uh, not being, uh, being able to control my own success, you know, in the sense that it was a, t- a team effort. Not that I don't like working with people, but I just kind of, I just kind of figured out that I was better at running and I actually, you know, could win races and feel good instead of, you know, playing 20 minutes and then getting subbed out or, you know what I mean? Like, I just think I, I just knew that running would bring me more joy. So did you go there with track in mind or was the track just kind of an ancillary thing when you were making your decision? So my senior year, um, I actually, I made it to state and cross country. And that's, I think that's when it started opening doors for me. And coach Taylor was one of the first coaches to reach out to my high school coach and ask him like, Hey, like, is he, is he going to college? Like, I'm really interested in him. And, and I remember, you know, my college, my, my coach uh, telling me, yeah, you know, there's a college coach interested in you. Like, and I remember it's just kind of like, oh, I don't want to go to CSU Stanislaus. It's, it's kind of small. Like I wanted to go, you know, to a division one school, like Sacramento state, Fresno state. And so that's what I kind of started reaching out to those coaches, but they were, kind of like oh well we don't really have much scholarship money so you can you can be on the team but I just kind of didn't really like that I was just like uh, I don't know I kind of I don't know I just after talking to coach Taylor it you know I just had a feeling that she really wanted me and and I could trust her you know I wasn't just going to be one of I wasn't just going to be one of many athletes that go there and um just kind of they forget about um she she kind of sat me down and was like if you come here like i promise you like you're gonna be really good and i think i took it to heart because i I could feel you know that that she she's the kind of coach that really cares about her athletes and like i said like that was the best decision i could have made so she obviously had this firm belief in you did she ever express either during that time or after the fact exactly what she saw in you where she seemed to maybe have potentially more belief in what you could achieve than maybe you even realized. I think she just kind of asked me about my training and figured out that, you know, I wasn't running anything crazy in workouts. Like I think my longest run was five miles. Like I never ran over breaks. I, I didn't really take running serious, if that makes sense. Like I know, I know high school, I know high school, um, athletes nowadays, like 
double and, and, you know, run 60, 70 mile weeks and are really good. But I wasn't doing any of that. Like I was just kind of doing the minimum, but somehow in my area being good enough to like be happy with it. So you were more like just like an athlete who did track and cross country more than just like being a dedicated runner. Yes. Got it. All right. Well, then that that makes sense. Why she, you know, when she stumbled across that fact, it must have been like, whoa, what what could this kid do if he really, you know, stepped on the gas here in training? So what was it like for you after two years with her, this woman who you obviously were very fond of and who had such faith in you? And you go to you, know, you pick your major college choice in large part to work with her. She takes the BYU job, which is obviously a very high profile position. I've expected at some level that you were like understood why she would make that choice. What was it like for you when you found out that she was leaving and kind of the situation that all of a sudden you were in? I was honestly in shock. I was actually working. I had a summer internship with one of my old teammates that ran at the D2 school with me. Um, And I was getting off work. I didn't have signal whenever she texted me, but all I saw, I was getting off work. It was like, 5 p.m. and all I saw was like oh can you call me once you get off work so I had like an odd feeling that something was going on because it was like it was in it was August it was like we had our team camp our cross-country team camp like two weeks from there from the day she, you know it was like coming up but I somehow when I saw that oh could you please call me I kind of had an odd feeling and sure enough like she like breaks it down to me and I was I was a little bit sad because I I was just like, Oh, well, like what's going to happen? Like, you know, I'm going to have to figure out something, but she's like, Oh no, like, like you can, I want you to come with me. And after, after hearing that, I was like, well, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Like I, (laughs) I went, they flew me out on the recruiting trip and, um, but yeah, I had to make the decision because, uh, it was like, I said, it was like, mid-August and be you know I had to make my decision quick and um, I I thought about other schools but I didn't want to risk um, changing you know something that was working for me and so yeah I you know I'm not Mormon I had to sign an honor code and, and for that you know it was for, for that aspect it was hard just kind of like being thrown into into kind of a, a new environment with, you know, people that are different than myself. Um, but at the end of it all, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I was able to get my, um, my bachelor's degree and, you know, have a good career um, at BYU also. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's easy to see why, um, just knowing Dilji Taylor from afar, I can see why anyone would want to run with her. And just the team over BYU was just littered with high level athletes, right? Men's side, the women's side, track, cross country. What was it like for you all of a sudden, you know, stepping into, uh, you know, the, the cross country team and the track team? And, and certainly from an 800 meter perspective, like you were still the cream of the crop and you were still one of the best runners in the country. But all of a sudden, they must have been had a different feeling in terms of just the, the quality of runners around you. And what was that like just in terms of your training um, and how you reacted to that, whether it was competition or just, you know, picking each other up? You know, that's funny that you say that because, yeah, that was that was a hard part. Like, 
when I was at my D2 school, I was, you know, I worked my way up to be, you know, the best cross country runner. And, you know, I would lead the middle distance group. Um, and, and I would always complain because in my, in my D2 school, we didn't have indoor. So I had to run cross, cross country and then, you know, run outdoor track in the spring. And I would always say, like, I would always tell my teammates, like, ah, I wish we had indoors. That way we didn't have to run cross country and we could just focus on indoors and outdoors. And then when I got to BYU, I had indoors there, but I somehow wanted to be on that cross country team so bad, but it was really hard because there was guys there that were actually long distance guys that were running, you know, 80, hundred mile weeks, which I, I, you know, I couldn't compete against because just my, my training was different, you know, like. I was running, you know, 40 to 50 miles a week. And like I said, there were true long distance runners like that were good, you know. And so I remember it was just <laughs> I finally had indoors and outdoors there. But I, I, I wanted to be a part of that awesome cross country team. But like I said, it was <laughs> it, those guys are crazy good. Um, The other tricky part there was, like I said, I I. I went there because of, of my coach and the success we were having and so early on I would train with the guys but I eventually was like I don't want to you know change my training and so I just coach Taylor would just strictly coach me and um, so for the most part you know the workouts it was just me by myself um, she would coach the woman first and then, you know, afterwards she would coach me. Um, so yeah, pretty much I, I trained by myself there. All right. So after college, what was the plan for you? Like, did you, how much were you weighing whether or not you were going to still run and trying to figure out like, all right, I ran the 2016 trials. Did you immediately have an eye on 2020? Like what was the decision matrix that you were playing around with once you had a chance to graduate from BYU? So no, for sure. There, there was no question whether I was going to keep running or not. Like I, I hundred percent wanted to, the question was where was whether, where I was going to end up at. Um, and, um, sure enough, you know, Atlanta track club showed a lot of interest and, um, I visited and, and everything worked out, but, yeah, I mean, I I think um, after making the final the following year, you know, in 2017, and winning that semifinal where, you know, I I beat Donovan Brazier, I beat Shaquille Walker. I think that that was like the, I think I belong. You know, it wasn't where oh I'm just barely making USA's and then, you know, not making the semifinal or final. You know, that was the opposite that I think that race gave me a lot of confidence and and just kind of solidified that. I think over the next few years, if I keep working hard, I can be a contender. Hey, folks, the Road to the Trials podcast is presented by Koros Wearables, makers of performance GPS watches that help athletes train to their best. Athletes like world record marathoner Elliot Kipchoge and multi-time U.S. champion Emma Coburn trust Koros watches to track their training from long runs to track workouts with their innovative track mode, which I, frankly, 
I'm just going to input this. I love their track mode. This is one of the reasons I love these watches. You can measure your next track workout to near perfection, whether you've got 400 meter repeats in lane one or a four mile tempo in lane five. You can trust Coral's watches to provide the stats that you crave. So show your support for the brands that support this podcast and pick up the Pace 2, the latest GPS watch on the market. Enter code TRIALS at checkout on Coros.com. That's C-O-R-O-S.com for free accessory with your purchase. You can just pick whichever one you like after you enter the code. So when you use the Coros product, you know you're getting a premium watch designed, tested, and perfected by the athlete and for the athlete. Give Coros a follow on Instagram or on Facebook at Coros Global. Coros, explore perfection. All right. So once you graduated and you you joined the Atlanta Track Club elite team and you have this eye towards, all right, 800 meters, let's make it happen. <laughs> what happens then? Because all of a sudden, you know, your your era of pros and like high school graduates, right? So we're going to talk, I'm going to talk to Tyler Day, like right after this, like all of a sudden, like he graduates from college into like, hey, there's no races or like, you know, things like that. So what was it like for you, the beginning of your pro career, not necessarily from a practice and training perspective, but just finding your legs in the pro circuit and just the volatility that we've seen over the past, you know, couple of years here? I think for me, it wasn't it wasn't that crazy of a surprise or, or anything it was really different just because um, I had that experience, like I said, from the the previous three years um, running at USA's and and running at these high profile meets. So I think I adjusted fairly well. Like it, it wasn't nothing new for me. Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about 2020. So. You know, coming into 2020, obviously, like early on in the year, it starts to become pretty obvious that, um, you know, we're talking, we're going into February and early into March. Like it's, it's becoming pretty clear that the trials aren't going to happen. When that came down and all of a sudden the year that you had planned and that your coaches had planned all of a sudden wasn't going to come to fruition and everything is going to get pushed back. What did your calendar end up looking like from a track meet perspective and how? much notice did you get for any of these races? So like you mentioned, er everything kind of seemed unclear at, at, at first. Um, and so I, I didn't start racing until I think August was my first race. And I, yeah, August I raced at Tennessee. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, the directors there did a, really good job at you know bringing um high profile athletes to kind of test the legs and and get a season in um i raced at in iowa at the u.s road mile champs um and i also raced at a homie we had and so there wasn't a ton of racing but i i did get some i think i got like four races in um between august and september um of 2020 and which was the best race for you? Where, where do you feel like you, you really kind of had your best race of the season? Honestly, it was my last race and it was our homie. And I raced, I raced an 800. Um, and I remember I, you know, I wanted to go for it just because, like I said, my, my first couple races, I, I, I didn't feel sharp. I wasn't ready. Um, I got my, my butt kicked. Um, and, and I told the coaches, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. 
And sure enough, I I led from the wire and, you know, I didn't run anything crazy. I think I ran 147 low, but it just felt good to just because my, 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 my racing style isn't leading, you know, from the start. And so it felt good just going from the start and, and knowing like, okay, like I'm, I'm just, you know, gaining rhythm. Like I'm, I'm calling a season, calling it uh, the end of the season after this race. But yeah, I think it just, I felt strong. Like I remember I was like, oh my gosh, I wish, you know, we still had two or three more months of train of, of races left. And what do you think led to that, that strong feeling in that race? Was it just the culmination of all the training? Did you feel like some of your training earlier in the year didn't go the way you wanted? Like what, what, what do you think led to the end of the year being better for you than the beginning? So after indoors, I, I, I came off a good indoor season. You know, I, I, um, ran 336, which I had bettered my 1500 time by like five seconds. So that was a huge breakout for me. Um, but I ran 336. Like I said, I was upset on myself because I was going for the Olympic standard that race. And I decided to race an 800 the next day. Um, and I, you know, strained my calf just because it had been tight prior to even my 1500 and so coming off the indoor you know having momentum that strain in my calf kind of threw me off and I had to take more time off than than I thought I needed to take um and then again COVID happened and it just kind of seemed unclear um we couldn't meet with the team we couldn't get treatment so I couldn't see my PT or get massage so I I was just kind of like you know, that it didn't seem like there was any rush to get fit. And when I least expected it, you know, it was like, oh, we're actually going to race in August. Um, and so then I just felt rushed. I, like I said, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like my preparation was as good as other seasons. Um, but towards the end, like I said, I, I, I felt fresh. I, I felt like I was just gaining momentum. And so it was just, it was just bad timing for, for a lot of things and the uncertainty of things that I think just, um, I was not focused. So then the year kind of the, the season comes to an end and you're feeling strong at that point, when you look back on not only what went well for you and what didn't go well, and you have an, all of a sudden have an eye on 2021, what were some of the things that you've in your, t- in your, uh, you know, your team and your coaches viewed as, as your strengths as a runner at that moment in time? And what were some of the things that you felt like were things that you needed to work on? So strengths were that I, I had a good indoor season. And so th- those were some good strengths, uh, gaining out of uh 2020 uh the weaknesses were just uh learning how to just you know if this ever happens again know that you know the hard work that you're putting every day will eventually pay off and it's not one of those things where um it's because i i think what what hurt me was just me not having like a goal and not seeing like oh I'm going to have this race three months from now. You know, I need to, I need to train hard today, tomorrow, the next day, et cetera. It was just kind of like, Oh, like who, who even knows if we're going to have an outdoor season. So like, 
I can go to bed late today. You know, just doing the little things right, mm. if that makes right. sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, mean, I think as someone, as someone who falls into that trap all the time, and I am certainly not a professional athlete, I can certainly relate to that. When I look at your running, not history, but say like the past few years, uh, in terms of what you've been able to do, you know, you've been active in the 800, you've been doing very well in the 1K, and you've also been running the 1500 meter really well. So in terms of race selection, I know that we have spent a lot of time talking about the 800 meters here, but it seems like you're almost just as capable in some of these other races. Certainly the 1K isn't something that you would qualify for the Olympics in, but what pulls you more towards the 800 meters than, say, the 1500 meters, especially the 1500 meters when you see it run without a rabbit, where all of a sudden it becomes much more like an 800 meter race? Um, I think the 800 just is just because it's it's kind of like what I... You know, and in, in high school, that's what I was better at. Um, I I don't know. I think I, the 800 just holds a, a special place in my heart just because it's like what I kind of like got me to those those USA meets. You know, it wasn't the 1500 or it wasn't the mile. It was the 800. So even though, yes, I'm improving in, you know, the longer distances. I don't know. I just the 800 has a special place in my heart. But. Um, I think we're training as a, they're training me now and my, my focus is kind of shifting as uh, being a racer and just uh, whatever race I get thrown in, like, you know, competing and, you know, trying to win no matter who's in it. But yeah, I think that's, that's good. That's our approach. So, you know, like I said, I, I, I don't, the trials are still a couple of months away, but who knows? I might end up, you know, if I, if I, hit a standard for both, you know, running both. Do you think that there's a chance that you'll, you'll be entering both the 800 and the 1500 in the races you'll be doing this spring? For sure, yes. Got it. So there's a legit chance that even though we've been focusing more on the 800 in this conversation, that a few months from now, the 1500 might end up being, you know, not only you might be running both of the trials, but the 1500 meter might be just as good of a chance for you. I mean, I look at, shoot, even 2019, you know, your 1K time was what, second or third best in the country. And it was like one second behind Bryce Hopple, who obviously you're going to be running against in the 800. Um, and then the 1500 meter, like you're right there with a lot of the guys who we expect to be finalists in the 1500 meter, you know, four or five months from now um, at the trial. So it, it really is exciting to see. With that said, and we'll dive into, into the very real hardcore specifics of your training in, in a later episode, but does an athlete like you have to train differently for the 800 versus the 1500 or is the, can the training be pretty similar? I think it's pretty similar. Um, as, me individually, I'm not, I'm not a high mileage. So I know a lot of uh, 1500 runners, you know, will do a lot, a lot of mileage, like 80 to 90 uh, mile weeks. I'm not that kind of athlete. I think, I respond well with, you know, 40 to 50 mile weeks. Um, and yeah, that's what we're working on right now. We're just, you know, trying to work my strength so that I can, you know, do rounds, whether it's the 800 rounds, the 1500 rounds or both. Um, just because I feel like the, the speed's in there, you know, it's, I think it's the strength that if we really nail it down, I think I can run fast in, in both. Like there's, 
I think my coaches do a very good job of, you know, doing the strength and, and not forgetting about the speed. You know, we, we integrate speed pretty often. Like I don't, I don't just, I don't have, I think in college I had those sessions where it was like really anaerobic. Um, and here I haven't really done that, but I've, I've been running faster. And so, you know, I think it's working for me. And how is your health right now? Uh, right now I'm healthy, you know, knock on wood. Um, I'm ready. I haven't, I haven't raced since, since September, but, um, I had a really good training block from September to December. Um, I had, um, time off in December. Um, and you know, now we're ramping things back up and I think, uh, my first race on the schedule is March Texas relays. Whenever that is, I think it's towards the end of March. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm laying low right now. Just, you know, keeping my head down, working hard. And, you know, hopefully when, when my time comes, like I said, I'll be ready. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it right now just because I know once, once, you know, the season starts, it's just race after race after race. And so I'm, I'm enjoying right now, just getting, trying to get fit and, you know, trying to be ready for the big day in June. I can't wait to see it. All right. So let's talk about something else because you actually, so we're following three male runners in this road to the trials podcast. Um, and actually two of the male runners, Frank, Laura, and yourself were both born in Mexico. So would you mind giving just us a little rundown just from a family perspective of, of when you guys moved to the States and, and what that's been like for you as someone who, while maybe born in Mexico, someone who's now working hard to represent the United States in the Olympics. And obviously you've lived here for most of your life, but just, you know, what, what that situation is like with your family and, you know, what it was like for you, you know, at the earlier stages in your life when maybe you moved to the United States and just the, the family background story. I moved to the States when I was about two years old. So I, I pretty much grew up in California my whole life. Um, growing up, it was like my, you know, I come from an old school family where, you know, if you're if you're a boy, if you're a male, you you work, you know, since you're young. Like my my dad didn't go to school. He he was working with his dad since he was small. So that's how it was with me. Like you know, after school, my dad would take me with him to go, you know, learn how to work. Whether it was, you know, farming in the backyard, you know, to you know taking, you know, if a car broke down, fixing the car, just like his, his focus was, you know, I'm going to teach my, my son how to work, how to earn his money. So that's kind of how my, I grew up, you know, just with my dad. I'm, I'm, I'm the only boy in the family. Um, I have five sisters. So like I said, my dad, after school, he would, you know, come home and just take me wherever he was. So that's kind of like how it was for me. I remember he would, you know, he, he let me, he let me run track and like I said, play sports in high school, but sometimes to him, it, it seemed like a waste of time. It was like, like, what do you mean you you have practice? Like, I want you to come help me do this, do that. Um, but I think he, he, he started to realize that the way he was raised wasn't the only right way. Right. Like, I think he started to realize like, wow. Like, I think if he, if, if, sports are helping pay his tuition in college. I think that's, that's a good thing. Um, so I think from there on out, he, he really started supporting me and, you know, just kind of like 
letting me do what I do. And yeah, that's how it is now. He, he will call me and, you know, the first thing he says is like, are you training hard? Like, you know, I want you to be ready for, for the next race. And so it's kind of, it makes me happy to, to, to hear that and, and know that my, you know, my dad supports me now and, and believes in me and, and knows that, you know, playing sports isn't like a bad thing. I really appreciate you sharing that. That's a great, that's a great story. All right. So Texas Relays, that's roughly a month away. Um, you mentioned you haven't done an actual race since September, which is completely understandable. What do, if anything, what do you guys do in practice to kind of simulate that all out race setting? Or do you not really do that? Do you just kind of really like maybe get closer to race day to make that happen? Like, do you have, I guess another way of me saying this, do you have like an accurate assessment of like where you are like fitness and time wise, like right now, or is it just your training and you're not like dialed into that, that specific number? So right now I, I, I don't really have an assessment. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure the coaches said um, within the next few weeks, we'll have one or two time trials to kind of uh, get that race hard effort in to actually know, you know, where we're at. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty standard for anyone you know, before getting a, you know, the first race of the season just to do a, a time trial. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that's what I have in store for me just to kind of see where I'm at. But um, I, I, if I can make a guess, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at just because um, the longer workouts have gotten extremely easier. Um, so I think aerobically I'm coming along and I'm, I'm aerobically the fittest I've ever been. So that's exciting for me. All right. So going into the Texas Relays, you know, no matter where you are fitness-wise, does that affect your race strategy on the day? Or is it simply, hey, um, I'm equal to these people. I really don't care what the outside factor is. I'm racing to win. Like, are you, where do you fall in that continuum between like being hyper aware and trying to be strategic versus like, hey, if I'm racing, I'm racing to win. Like where, where do you fall on that range, especially even for like an early season race? So I think I've, like I said, it's, it's come with experience, but I've, I've learned to know, um, obviously if it's like a big race where, like, you know, at USA championships where I'm just trying to qualify, I'm not going to go out there and lead from the start. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to play strategically and, you know, sit where I want to be, um, in the middle of the pack or, you know, top three um and you know just punch my ticket into the final or to the next round um but i think i'm i'm, I'm starting to to shift to you know the early on races just you know I, i'm not gonna go there to waste my time and and sit and you know in a slow pace like i'm going there to see where my fitness is um and so yeah if, i don't know what what whether i'm gonna race the eight or the 15 there yet but um, yeah, I think I'm, you know, hopefully there's a pacer that, that takes the, the race out just to kind of like make it a little easier. But, um, yeah, regardless who's there, I'm, I'm trying to go and run a fast time. I love it. All right. Yeah. So we, we got Texas relays March 24th to the 27th in Austin. Hopefully they thaw out by then. 
They're in, they're in some deep snow yeah. right now. Um, we got Charles Miles there going in, in, a, in a week and a half or so. Actually, yeah, the 27th. Uh, so they're going to be there, yeah, in about 10 days. Um, Abe, thank you so much. This was really exciting to learn more about you, your track in life past, where you are right now. And I can't wait to get you back on here in late March, post-Texas Relay, so we can do a little recap of exactly how it went and what steps you'll be taking moving forward. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Abe, thank you so much for coming on the uh, on the show today. And also, big ups to Coros for being the presenting sponsor of the Road to the Trials podcast. Head over to Coros.com and use code TRIALS to get some free goodies when you purchase a watch. My favorite watch company. Boy, they really do such a good job. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, soon, let's see, in not next week, but the week after... We are going to have, um, hopefully, a catch-up episode with Frank and Kira as they um, basically recap how they did at the Gate River Run, pretty similar to what they did uh, post the the, uh, Texas Qualifier. uh, A couple weeks ago, so uh, they're both going to be, I don't know, kind of tracking each other this spring. So we're going to do recap episode with those guys. Also, we're going to touch base soon with both Tyler and Dana to see how they're feeling from their respective injuries. Just so much stuff going on. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Deep. I'm a real person, real versions.